What do you want to be when you grow up? At school, I feared that question. I tried to put off answering it for as long as I could. In fact, the only reason I went to college was because I couldn't think of anything else to do, and it bought me three more years of not having to tackle that question. The reason it scared me was that I was the third child of three, and so my thoughts and wishes were not really very important. I was used to just tagging along with whatever my sister and brother wanted to do. Their voices were the ones my parents heard. And I was actually fine with that because I learned that even though I didn't have a say in what I was going to do on Saturday or where I was going on vacation or what film I was going to see at the cinema or even what I was going to have for dinner, everything always turned out happily and I enjoyed whatever was decided. My career path didn't become clear until I was 21 and an undergraduate, but I didn't really decide that either. No, God had taken the place of my parents and siblings, and he chose what I was going to be when I grew up. But it's always comforting to seek confirmation that you've got it right. So yesterday, I took a quiz online titled, What do you want to be when you grow up? (laughs) It was multiple choice, 21 questions, and it forced me to endure a catalogue of pop-ups advertising everything from perfume to video projectors. But eventually, it told me that I should be a park ranger. (laughs) Or a sports coach. Or a tour guide in a museum. Or a librarian. Or I could have my own podcast series. Now, if you're thinking, why are we listening to a preacher who should be walking around a national park in a funny hat telling people not to feed the bears... Let me reassure you that it did make one other suggestion. In fact, the second one it offered. Member of the clergy. I can't tell you what a relief this was. I leapt out of bed this morning full of hope and joy. I couldn't wait to come here and share this time with you, oh godly flock. But then I read Jesus in today's gospel lesson, and I think I may have got the wrong answer. In fact, I think we've got the wrong question. Instead of what do you want to be when you grow up, the real question, the question that forces us to view ourselves with true God-given perspective, that demands we examine our lives and our place in God's universe, the real question is actually the other way round. Not what are you going to be when you grow up, but what are you going to be when you grow down? Because growing down is our challenge. Growing down is our calling. Growing down is our divine mission. In a world of pride and aggression, where the prayer is, my kingdom come, my will be done, where we're told that superiority is found in titles before your name and initials after, where greatness is measured in status, money and power, 
Growing down is the way to true greatness. Growing down is the way of Jesus and the reason you were born. The twelve disciples are travelling down to Capernaum and discussing weighty matters as they walk. One weighty matter in particular. Which of them is the greatest? When I imagine this scene, I I see them keeping a good distance from Jesus. Because if you're going to debate the greatest disciple, uh, you don't want Jesus to hear. You know how he will respond. Nonetheless, Jesus, being, well, Jesus, knows what they're talking about. And he gently but powerfully frees them from their upside-down thinking. When they arrive in Capernaum, he asks them... So, what were you talking about on the road? Now, Mark doesn't tell us that the disciples got that busted feeling, but they surely did. They're so embarrassed, they don't even answer. They go silent. You can imagine them looking at the floor. And then Jesus sits down. Which is not an irrelevant detail. When rabbis sit down, they are about to give some important authoritative teaching. So the disciples see Jesus sitting down and probably think, "Uh uh-oh, here it comes, we're in trouble. And Jesus, with a lot more grace and gentleness than they were expecting, says, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and the servant of all. Okay, he implies, so you want to know who's the greatest. You want to know by what criteria God judges greatness. Service. That is the criterion. The greatest person is the servant. And as a visual aid to this impromptu sermon, Jesus takes a child and places him or her in the middle of the gathering. And then he lifts the child and holds them in his arms. And while he's holding them says this, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. And we go, ah, isn't that sweet? But the twelve are not doing that, because this is radical. In that culture, children were at the bottom of the social ladder. Only slaves were lower. You get a trace of this by the way Mark doesn't even identify the gender of this child. The Greek word he uses is the neuter pronoun. So when our translation says it instead of him or her, it is a faithful rendition. This child is so much of a thing and not a person that it doesn't even get identified as a girl or boy. Can you feel the sting of this challenge? If you want to become great, you must become the most insignificant. Be the servant. Be the child. Don't grow up. Grow down. That way, greatness lies. Christ calls us not to high jump, but to limbo dance. 
It's not children who need to be asked what they want to be when they grow up, but adults who need to imagine what we can be if we grow down. Growing down means not insisting on your own way. Growing down is admitting you were wrong, acknowledging you messed up, stating that someone else's idea is better than yours. Growing down means giving away those things that other adults strive for. We come to see that those badges of human greatness are actually hindrances to true greatness. We discover that power is for giving away. Money is for sowing in the soil of God's kingdom. Status is for turning on its head. Don't grow up to be an adult. Grow down to be a child. In June, Galind and I took a train from London to Bruges in one of the most exquisite days out you can plan. We sped through the English countryside, gazing through the window at fields of corn, pastures of cattle and postcard hamlets with their ancient steeples and quaint village greens. And then, without warning, we entered the tunnel. In an instant, our window onto the world became a mirror. Instead of the beauty of south-east England, I saw my face. I saw the tiredness. Uh, We did get up at 4am that morning. The blemishes, the lines created by years of laughter, worry and gravity. It's a shock to enter the tunnel. And it lasts for 21 miles before, with equal suddenness, we burst into the sunshine of northern France and then the glory of Belgium. Different fields, different lives, but fascinating and wondrous. That is like my relationship with scripture. I go there for comfort and inspiration. I imbibe its splendour. I'm revived by its vigour. But then I read these words of Jesus and I'm no longer contemplating beauty. I see myself. The sins I see are mine. That life being weighed in the balance is not someone else's but belongs to me. In time, the words that convict me release me. I'm once again in the presence of the God who loves me, the Christ who died for me, and the Spirit who mercifully transforms me bit by bit into the person God made me to be. Like Gulliver and Alice through the looking glass, I take the journey to smallness. We stoop to rise. We go low to go high. We embrace humility. Pride, we learn, is the only disease that makes everyone sick but the person who has it. Winston Churchill, not the person that immediately comes to mind when you think of humility, uncharacteristically shows us the way. One day, a friend, surveying the vast crowd that had turned up to hear Churchill give a speech, asked him how he coped with the public adulation. Churchill replied, It is gratifying. However, when I feel too proud, I remind myself that twice as many people would turn up if I were being hanged. (laughs) 
You may prefer the story of a young woman completing an application form for college whose heart sank when she read the question, Are you a leader? Being honest, she wrote no and returned the application expecting the worst. To her surprise, she received this letter from the college. Dear Ms Diaz, a study of applications reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel it is imperative that they have at least one follower. <laughs> Let me rephrase Jesus' challenge here. Children are not just people we are to care for, nurture and treasure, but they certainly are those things. They are also our role models. If he is right and we can only enter the kingdom of God when we become like children, then they are the most important role models we can have. Now let's not get sentimental about this. Jesus knew what children are like, and I don't think we should pretend that they are innocent. I don't believe that is what he meant. Anyone who thinks children are innocent hasn't lived with any. Meanness, greed, deceit, and vengeance come just as naturally to them as to adults. So how are they our role models? When my children were young, I looked at their fascination as they studied an insect in the garden and thought, that sense of wonder is my role model. I noticed how they would change moods instantly in response to events and thought, that living in the moment is my role model. I saw how they went to bed without a trace of doubt that tomorrow would be filled with excitement, joy and a world of delights to experience. And I thought, that faith in God's beautiful future is my role model. I studied how they did not let regrets about yesterday blight the joy of today. And I thought, that freedom from guilt is my role model. I beheld their total acceptance of their vulnerability, powerlessness and dependence and how it set them free from needing to pretend to be powerful and sophisticated and I thought that vulnerable dependence on God, that is my role model. And so, may we take a fresh look at the children in our lives and let's grow down to be like them, for that is what it means to be great. Amen.